Hi, hello, my name is Maris and welcome to my show, Critical Root Zone, where we dig deep with inquiring minds to get to the root of sustainability, going below the surface to rebuild trust while supporting all voices on our journey to a climate positive planet. And so my guest for this next series on energy is one of my favorite people to be around, Professor Dodd Galbraith. So Dodd has founded the Institute for Sustainable Practice and is the director of the graduate programs at Lipscomb University. And we're gonna get to know a lot more about him and what he's done in maybe more than this, 37 years of sustainability. He'll let me know if this is uh, if this is a correct uh, number of years because I feel like your whole life, his whole life has been dedicated to sustainability. And um, I'm just super excited to talk to him because we've been friends for a while and um, it's it's fascinating all of the conversations I've already had with him and I'm pumped to do it on air. All right, here we are. Episode three um, of our energy series with my guest, Professor Dodd Galbraith. And uh, we're getting to the greener side of things, right? Um, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to have clean and renewable and sustainable energy? Well, I'm speaking with one of the most brilliant people that I know. And uh, if you want to know more about him, check out episode one because we talk all things Dodd. And then uh, episode two, we get into fossil fuels, which we dumb it down, right? We take the very basic foundation of that. And now we're springing into the future, sustainable energy. Hey, Dodd. Good morning. Let's go. Or good afternoon. <laughs> good morning. They don't know. They, they think we're at a wind farm for all they know. That's right. right? That's exactly Isn't right. That cool. Um, we're just blowing with the wind. I mean, we? we're we're just a little piece. We're we're here at Elm Hill Studios here in Nashville, Tennessee, and we're in the green room. Um, I don't know if the guys can like show you like a quick blip of the greens of the green behind us, and then the the solar image that the so I keep saying solar the wind image. Um, behind us, the wind farm image, but this is uh, the coolest thing ever. I'm I'm blessed to be here. Blessed to be here with you. Thank you. You know, you were more right with that analogy than you said because without without the sun, we wouldn't have wind. Yeah, there yeah. exactly. Yeah. Differential I heating. I knew that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You did. I, I knew told that. you. Yeah. But um, we're getting into uh, green energy, green, sustainable, renewable. All these terms can get thrown around. It's mm -hmm. I want to get to to the foundation of that too. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about it. Will you let me shadow a class? Yeah, and that was an honor. Thank you for that privilege. Yeah, you're welcome. And I heard you talk about that. There's a difference between that terminology, and I think that's really important mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for people to understand. It's kind of just like this greenwashing idea where we say, "Hey, this is biodegradable," which mm -hmm. you know is not the same as compostable. Yeah. Um, but. And we'll get into that another another series. But uh, yeah, could you could you kind of tell us more about that? Yeah, I mean, if if you think about where the the term sustainability came from in human history, it, it evolved from uh, European thinking uh, around the time that uh, President Reagan was in office. Uh, there was a lot of he took solar panels off the White House, even though uh, Richard Nixon created the EPA and Theodore Roosevelt created most of our national forests and. 
in national parks. And before that, President Grant created a, a national monument. President Lincoln created a national monument. So all these Republicans, you know, were really big in the, in the sustainability of the environment before uh, uh, Mr. Reagan came along and scared Europeans as he started kind of making some shifts away from traditional American environmentalism. So they decided they needed to come up with basically a new brand for environmentalism, and they called it sustainable development because they wanted the environmentalism to include the concept that it's okay for things to evolve or to develop on the planet. And over time, they realized, no, this has got to be a bigger, more complete brand that solves things completely or holistically, as we would say in sustainability science. And they came up with this triple bottom line definition. And the definition was basically, we want to make sure that our kids have it as good or better than we do today in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, but they also said, we want to make sure that the planet and business and people are taken care of in, in this uh, multi-approach, uh, complete problem-solving kind of brand. Triple bottom line. Triple bottom line. And that's actually kind of a business-friendly term as well, trying to let business know we're not out here to put you out of business. We're trying to enhance your business and give your business a healthy nest to operate in, you know, well into the future. Uh, but that, frankly, sustainability is not a good enough definition. You know, why would we want the planet just to break even? You know, why would we want our kids to have it as good or, or, or better and, and make that an either-or proposition? Why wouldn't we want um, the defi definition to include things like regenerative design, where things are exponentially getting more valuable or, or producing quality uh, in and among themselves, the way nature has done it uh, for many, many years? And, um, and so when we talk about sustainability, we're focused on that, that, that kind of break-even and keeping things a little better than break-even approach, but we're adding resiliency to that. We're adding regenerative capacity to that. Resiliency. That was the one that a lot of, um, that I hear more often. That's, mm -hmm. that's what we hear. I think that's the trend now. Resiliency and regenerative. Yeah. But for sustainable um, versus renewable energy, I think you had told me an example was kind of like, so could we talk about the different, we've got solar, we've got wind, we've got water. Mm-hmm. Um, you had even touched on geothermal, which mm -hmm. I thought was really mm -hmm. cool because I'd never heard of that before. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you What do you think about the future and how that how, how to if you wouldn't mind explaining a few of them? Um, how does it work? How does solar work? How does How does wind work? In a nutshell, like that's a big yeah. question. Yeah. Like not the whole thing, but we get sun, we get sunlight, and where are the barriers to that, right? Because yeah. I hear a lot of people say, well, okay, well, solar is great, but we can't store it. Yeah. And there's like these, there's these different things. So yeah. I don't know, we'll start with solar if that's yeah. cool with you. Yeah, that's no problem. I mean, the, the, you know, all the ones you mentioned are kind of in the same category. You know, they're, they're regeneratively created. You know, the sun's energy is, and we heard, heard about this in the news re recently about nuclear fusion being one of the answers to our energy problem, you know. Uh, uh, basically, atoms and molecules are being combined or fused together inside the sun, and they're releasing enormous amounts of energy that travel, you know, 96 million miles or, or whatever whatever that number is wow. from, the, from the sun to the earth. Yeah, and um, and we get more and more energy in one hour than we need for the entire year of the planet. Uh, so it has to go back out in space. So we're getting this regenerative, ample extra supply. 
Um, uh, and uh, and it's when you say regenerative, right? Like this is renewable. Like it's, yeah, it's yeah. well, it, it in the sun's case, it's 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 a it, it has a finite life. You know, mm-hmm. uh, one day, according to physicists, the the sun will begin to die, and before it dies, it will first expand, and then it will shrink. Uh, and so they're talking about about a five billion year life for the sun, but. Uh, somewhere, maybe about halfway to that five billion years, the sun will expand and it'll fry planet Earth. It's, it's kind of interesting, you know, working at a, at a faith-based university, you know, revel, um, there are Bible verses that talk about the Earth being purified by fire. So in physics and in solar energy, uh, you know, science, you know, those Bible verses are lines true. Up. Earth, Earth will be purified by fire, by wow. heat. You know, but but that's two and a half to five billion years off in the future. So, so why would we want to speed that up? You know, with climate change or nuclear war or or many other things. So yeah, it's 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 free energy. It's it's being given to us every day, and it goes back out into space. So it's not sustainable in that sense. No, it's it's uh, it's not a break-even thing. It's it's uh, it's an abundance thing, and that's I mean. That's why, um, you know, vegetarianism, to, to use a non-energy analogy, is touted as one of our survival techniques is because uh, the inputs that go into a plant uh, create much higher uh, outputs mm-hmm. than the inputs that go into an animal. Uh, right. We don't get nearly the same amount of output with an animal. It tastes great. It's wonderful to eat. But it takes a whole lot more energy and a whole lot more ingredients to feed that animal than it does to feed a plant. Mm. And the sun feeds a plant. And, yes, there are natural nutrients, and we can add man-made nutrients. But yeah. if, you, if you look at the sun's energy, it's, it's being it, – it was created by our creator, or if you're a secular believer, it was created by, you know, the awesomeness of, of the universe, and it's constantly evolving – regenerating resilient systems because we know there are other solar systems being made according to these new telescopes that, that we've created that look deep in the space oh, light gosh. years in the space i don't know anything about that so you know uh, that, that's a good example of the fact that uh, we're not having to pay an energy bill to start another universe down the road you know we're not having to flip on a switch to have our sun send us you know, enough energy in one hour to power the entire planet for the year. That's just happening every day by itself. Right. So that's what we mean by renewable energy is an energy that we fundamentally have to pay to access. We have to pay to store it. We have to pay to transport it across a, a, a wire or across a transmission line. We have to pay to uh, to use it in a home uh, uh, so in a way that won't burn up our hairdryer or that won't burn up the wires in our home. Mm-hmm. So the, the cost of renewable energy it mostly has to do with making it usable. The source of the fuel is free. Right. Yeah. Um, and to my knowledge, it's become over the last, what, 10 years at least, like more affordable, more accessible, reducing seem to be barriers to entry and especially with our grid in, in Tennessee. But yeah. I'd like to get more into that in the last episode. Okay. We're not going to step in there, but um, wind. Yeah. Wind is another one. Yeah. W- wind is a factor of the sun. It's a factor of differential heating. So during the day when the sun is heating the land and heating the water, it's, it's heating it at different levels of heat absorption. And at night when heat radiates out of the land, 
uh, it radiates a little faster out of the land than it does, um, or, or it's actually stored a little more efficiently in the land. So you have different uh, heat release rates from water than you do land. And so that creates what we call differential heating. And when you have differential heating, that means air as masses of matter, gas is matter. That's why you can feel wind against your hand and your face. It's, it's actual matter made up of molecules that have weight. Uh, and this, this, these air gases, uh, when they are heated, they expand and they rise. Or when they're cooled, as, as a, like heat is in the ocean, heat falls when it's cooled or it, it cools when it comes in contact with the other atmosphere and falls. So things become more dense when they cool, they become less dense when they're heated. And gravity, the gravity from the center of the planet that pulls and holds us down on the planet as we walk across the planet, also pulls on that heavier air and doesn't pull so much on that lighter air. And so you get differential uh, movement of air masses, and that's wind. Wow. That, that's where wind comes from, is differential heating. Without mm -hmm. the sun's energy, we, we might have some atmospheric winds, but, uh, but it, uh, it, in, in, the, in the type planet that we have, our atmosphere is really stable because we have enough gravity to hold gases against the planet. There are some plants that don't have atmospheres because they're not big enough to hold those gases there as an atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So within our nice sort of envelope uh, atmosphere that we have, this differential heating and the gravity creates wind. And so you hear about electric cars mm -hmm. and how there's always just the duality of mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, electric cars would be cutting down on carbon emissions because mm -hmm. we're not using gas. If they're charged properly, yeah. And charging it mm -hmm. could be coming from a power grid fueled by fossil fuels. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like yeah. this crazy concept of like, okay, well, are we doing better or is this? Yeah, yeah we're doing a lot better. I mean, we're, we're already at, we, we've been at grid parity uh, uh, for a long time with wind. Wind has been out-competing coal uh, because it's, there's not a fuel cost. You know, you have to go dig up coal and, and buy huge trucks to load up the coal, and then you have to buy trains to transport the coal. Then you got to have more big trucks to unload the coal, and then you got to have right. other vehicles to pour that coal, you know, into a furnace and burn it. So, you know, the the sun and wind energy just kind of come to us, so we don't have to buy the fuel to start with. We just have to process it, and so our processing costs don't have a fuel cost. But in terms of uh, electric cars. Um, since wind is at parity with coal, more cost-effective, solar, utility-scale solar now is cheaper than coal, cheaper than nuclear in a lot of areas. Uh, and um, uh, since um, geothermal energy can generate electricity from the heat inside the earth, flashing water into steam, spinning a, a turbine, generating electricity that way, or we can use ground-sourced heating and cooling, and move heat back and forth so we don't have to buy so much electricity to create the additional balance of heat that we need to keep a house warm or to get heat out of a building in the summertime. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of these uh, reduce the cost and the burden of the reliance on fossil fuels, but they don't equal the entire net of the demand. Right. And so one of the things, you know, I want to get across to your viewers is that we really don't have a problem with um, our ability to use the right energy sources per se as much as we have a demand problem 
Say that again. Well, you know, it's it's our it's our wasteful use of energy and our high expectations for energy and our high demand for energy that's created the problem. So, you know, most um, sustainability experts who are trained today, if they're trained right, they're taught first about efficiency. How do we take very high demand and reduce it to a level that's more manageable uh, with new energy sources? And then, and then uh, how do we use that savings and reinvest it in a way to invest in raising the standards of solar energy, wind energy, geothermal energy, and other types of renewable energies uh, to a level so that they can meet that demand somewhere in the middle or somewhere, somewhere at a higher level than what they can produce today. Uh, how do we make batteries more efficient? You know, if, if we burn every gallon of oil and if we burn every piece of coal on the planet and we don't take the profits from that experience and reinvest it in the solution, one day it's just going to stop. And it's going to be very, very painful. But unfortunately, it's going to be more painful before the hard stop, before the train crashes, because we'll go from affordable diesel fuel and affordable gasoline that are incredibly important to growing food and feeding us because we have to eat three times a day. We breathe every second, so the air's got to clean, got to be clean. The food's got to be healthy and available and cheap and affordable. So that means the fuels that are growing those foods uh, and keeping the air clean need to stay cheap because even when it's um, available, it can be too expensive you know, to do those things well. So we've got to start investing now. And I, I think we are. Uh, unfortunately, we're having a little bit of tribal conflict. Uh, you know, it, you know when, you're, when you're trying to get out of a building that's on fire, uh, it's, it's feasible that people are going to fight to see who gets out the door fat first, you know. Well, it's, that's kind of what's going on now with, with fossil fuels versus renewables. We've got people fighting to see who's going to get control or who's going to benefit first or who's still trying to figure out whether or not it's a good idea, and so they want to continue to debate it. So we're all bumping into each other while the house is burning down. Mm -hmm. And at some point, we've got to go get the fire extinguishers. We've got to go build the fire suppression systems for the future and while we still have capital and ability to do it. And that takes working together. Yeah, it, it really <laughs> does. You know, I, we, we really are past the point of, of debate about these things. Um, now, it's... It, you know, our, our, again, our real challenge is our demand of energy is so high that the only solution really we have right now is probably nuclear energy as a non-CO2 uh, uh, emitting energy. It takes a lot of CO2 to build it, a nuclear power plant. Mm. But one of the things that, that is fundamentally uh, of concern about nuclear energy is that we're, we're not managing the books honestly. You know, for example, I guarantee you we do not calculate the cost of managing nuclear waste for a thousand years into the kilowatt hour or the megawatt hour price of electricity that comes from a nuclear power plant. We're, we're only paying the cost of that energy based upon what it took to build the plant and operate the plant and to keep the waste safe once the fuel rods wear out. 
Which, and to keep and to keep the radiation from escaping outside of the be, because reactor. it creates radioactive uranium. Yeah, well, because it, it creates not only radio radioactive fuel rods, fuel you know, rods that 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 have generated that nuclear reaction, that nuclear fission reaction, where atoms are being split apart. Right. Which which is an unnatural process. The right. sun fuses atoms and molecules. You know, we we split atoms, you know, and molecules in a nuclear reaction. I'm not a physicist. So I'm butchering some of that, I'm sure. But, the, you know, the bottom line is that we're doing something that's unnatural and we're not managing the books. We're not telling the investor and future generations that we're covering the cost of what we did today. We're dumping that cost on them. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know that, you know, when a uranium fuel rod wears out, you know, when, it, when you can no longer use it for nuclear fission, you have to put it... You have to take them out of the nuclear reactor. You have to put it in pools of water. water yeah. It takes it anywhere from five to ten years just to cool them off. Wow. They're that hot. And all the water that was used to keep those rods cool and to get them cool is now radioactive water. Radioactive water. <laughs> That's right. So now you got the rods, you got the water, and then everything that came in contact with that, with operating the plant, setting it up, you know, taking care of the waste, now has a thousand-year half-life, roughly. So somebody's got to pay to manage all of that while wow. all that waste piles up over time. Yeah. Now the volumes are not as big as other things that we waste because we do get a lot of life out of them. Mm. But there's got to be a better way to do it. There's got to be a better way to cost it out now so that future generations are not paying that cost. So we're not just kicking the can down the road. And I think that's why nuclear fusion, why there's been so much effort put into that. You know, the only problem with nuclear fusion is it's, you know, it's a lot like hydrogen fuel was 20 years ago when George W. Bush said in front of Congress, you know, we're going to come up with an alternative for gasoline. We're going to start putting a lot of money in hydrogen fuel. It never got scalable. It never got, it never got to the level that would meet the high demand you know, that I was talking about earlier. So some of these things just become kind of delay tactics, you know, become procrastination. You know, I see graduate students do it all the time. I'll go work on this project so I don't have to do the one that's assigned next week. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's just the way humans do, you know. Mm. And we do it with billions of dollars, and it's crazy. But, um, but human history is full of behavior like that. We've always recovered from it. We've always figured it out. We have the technology to do it. We're, we're working together as countries now to speed it up. And, and, and then there's always those kind of almost kind of uh, uh, godlike interventions or God-specific interventions that kind of save the day. You know, like there were things that happened in Gettysburg while Lincoln was praying on his knees during that battle. President Lincoln was not a regular practicing Christian. But during that battle, he chose to get on his knees and pray. And things happened there that if they hadn't happened in the right sequence, almost by luck, you know, we wouldn't be the United States today. We would not have stopped uh, the Germans in World War One. We would not have stopped the Germans in World War Two. We would not have stopped communism from spreading and enslaving people. You know, so uh, things intervene in addition to our faithful mm -hmm. effort uh, to help us get to a, a viable outcome. Wow. Thank you for that. <laughs> that was amazing. Well, um, that was amazing. Yeah. I, I'm excited for this last episode where we're going to talk about how all of these things tie together because we're already kind of dipping into it. Um, we're going to talk about the big picture and how the scope of, of tribes, right? Yeah. The, that we side with 
viewpoints based on our identity and our mm -hmm. ideology. Mm -hmm. And um, that has a lot to do with where we're at today. Yeah. And I find that so interesting that I might do a whole series on that after this one. Um, and, and we're going to talk more about that. So stay tuned for the last episode of this series. Um, episode four, we're going to get into the critical root zone, as we say. So did you also know what a critical root zone? Have you heard that term before? Yeah, I have. And I, I love your analogy because I think it's dead on accurate. Yes. Winning. <laughs> we won. <laughs> I'll have to shout out to Silver Johnson because she helped me get that uh, brainstorming session. We came up with a CRZ concept, which if you haven't watched my first series, we talk about it with Kristen Westerbeck about what Critical Root Zone really is. Um, you can always email me or DM me. Aha, uh -huh, gotcha. But so I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email, criticalrootzone at gmail.com. Like I said, I'd love to maybe get some people here in the studio to check things out. We're at Elm Hill Studios in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a beautiful place. Um, if you're ever interested in podcasting or getting a crew together, they're your guys. Um, but until the next episode of CRZ, can't love the planet unless we love each other, Dodd. Amen to that. And if we don't love ourselves... There's nothing, there's nothing else happening. So you got to love yourself first, and then all of that will radiate outside. Um, but I, I uh, encourage you to ask questions, inspire other people to be better, to do better. And, of course, we can do anything when we stand united. listening to Critical Root Zone. If you'd like to reach out, email us at criticalrootzone at gmail.com. Critical Root Zone is produced in Nashville, Tennessee, copyright 2022.